You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Listen, I'm so excited to be able to to minister to you truth today. But I wanted to say some things before I get into the message that I be, believe are pertinent concerning what's going on in America right now. And one of the things I wanted to start with is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, it says this about the church. It says that in the last days that the mystery of lawlessness will be at work. But it said that he who, who restrains him will do so until he is taken away. And it's talking about the body of Christ being raptured. And while we're here, we are controlling the mystery of lawlessness. Now let me explain to you what the mystery of lawlessness is. The mystery of lawlessness is when you make laws that are unjust. To give you something that we can relate to is a lot of the quarantine laws are unjust concerning the church. I mean, think about it for a minute. You can go into Costco, thousands of people, and be six feet apart. They have no problem. But as soon as we want to bring them inside the building, they have a problem. Or you can have a protest of thousands and thousands of people with no social distancing at all, and that's okay, but it's, all, it's wrong for us to go in the building. That's the mystery of lawlessness. And we see it all through our society. But what you need to understand is that the church is here to keep that in restraint. It's the church's job because we have the moral compass of Jesus in our lives to keep things alive. That's why we need to vote in the right people and do the things that we do. But one of the things that is vital for us all to do is this. And that is, in the church, we cannot afford to have any racism at all. Zero racism. For 38 years, I've been preaching to a multicultural church that we prayed into existence. And we have fought racism from the very beginning. There's no place in the church for racism of any culture. Whether it's Jews and Palestinians, whether it's uh, 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 Japanese people and Korean people, whatever the, you know, the, that, how, how do I say it, disease, where you dislike another culture over you, has to be completely eradicated from the church. We don't believe in racism. In the church, we don't believe in racism. In any area in our world, we don't. We fight against it. We, we, we find it despicable. And I want to encourage you as a church that we need to be an example. We need to be an example, and we need to accept people from every culture in our lives. And we don't need to stereotype anyone. We just need to serve Jesus. The Bible said that Jesus died for all of us, not some of us. Jesus died on the cross for every sin on every man. And so this racism we see in America today is very troubling to me because the church should be standing up against it. 
And I want to say this about some of the stuff that's going on right now about our police department. We need police. We need law and order in America. And the last thing in the world we need to do is defund the police department. The last thing in the world we need to do is cut back on police. We need more police because we need law and order. Now, we don't, we don't condone any kind of racism in the uh, police department, but we are not going to put everybody in the same camp. I'm not going to judge a police officer for someone else's actions. You, come on, come on, church you understand what I'm saying we have the majority of the police that we have in America today are good people and they need to be lifted up and honored for the work that they do we have today we have several police officers in the service and we in fact why don't you all give them a honk that we do appreciate what they're doing That must have been another church that honked horns. Amen. But what I want you to understand is that this is something that Christians have to do. We have to separate between evil and good. And the reality is, if we didn't have law and order, our society would be completely, it would be, there'd be lawlessness everywhere in our life. And I, I get tired of people accusing people for things that they didn't do because they're associated with something any more than I can't stand it when a preacher falls and then everybody goes oh you're just one of those preachers I'm not no don't judge me based on what someone else do judge me based on what I do amen and so I'm asking you as a church to make sure there's no racism in you Make sure that there's no one in this church that we uh, think are be below us or anything else. None of us are inferior to each other. We're all equal in the faith. And we need to be that light to the world and reach out and do what Jesus told us to do. Amen? Now, someone give God praise right now because I'm excited about this. All right, all right. Settle down, settle down. Praise God. Listen, I want to minister to you a message today. It's entitled, The Only Kind of Faith That Won't Fail. Say it with me. The only kind of faith that won't fail is the kind of faith that produces the emotions in your life. In other words, if it's your faith is producing the joy and the peace and the victory in your life, that kind of joy, if it comes from your faith, that's the kind of faith that can overcome every mountain, it can overcome every problem in your life. And a lot of people, the way that their faith works is they believe according to how they feel. If they don't feel accepted, then they believe they're not accepted. They believe according to what they think rather than believe according to what the Word says. But the faith that overcomes the world is the kind of faith that creates its own emotion. In other words, if I'm down right now, I'm going to go to the Word and believe the Word, and as I believe the Word, there's going to be what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, faithfulness. These are all sensations or feelings that come from the Holy Spirit when we put our belief system first above how we believe. Let me give you an example in Scripture. If you would, take a look at Matthew chapter 17. They'll actually put it up on the screen for you. And let me read it to you. 
It says, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why do we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say unto you that if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say unto this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, here's a situation. The disciples were unable to cast out a devil. And Jesus said, it's because of the littleness of your faith. But then he said, here's the answer. Prayer and fasting you'll be able to. Why? Because when you fast, what do you do? You deny your flesh. Your flesh wants to eat a meal, and you say, you're not going to eat. Your flesh wants to have chocolate. You say, you're not going to have chocolate. Your flesh says, I want to have a smoothie. And you say, no, you're not going to have a smoothie. In other words, you deny the feeling that you have inside of you. Jesus is saying, this is the way that you develop faith. This is how you walk by faith. You don't walk by what you feel. You don't walk by what you see. You don't walk by what you think in your mind. You walk by what God's Word tells you to think like. And you don't respond to what you feel. You respond according to the Word of God. And your faith is built up. Let me give you an example of this. This is a personal experience. The man by the name of Terry Law... Many of you don't know who he is, but he's an international missionary. And, you know, some people are missionaries just because they want to do good things. But he's truly a missionary called by God. And I remember sitting at lunch with him, talking with him. And uh, because he had this testimony that the Lord appeared to him in a vision, Jesus did, and called him to be a missionary. So I love to hear people like that. And you can always tell when somebody is really uh, called by God to do things that have visions like that because there's always a whole lot of suffering that follows. In other words, when God visits you like that, guaranteed, if it's God, there's going to be a lot of suffering that follows it. Anyway, and so I was talking to him about it. He talked about how the Lord appeared to him. And then he started sharing what happened to him early on in his ministry. He was overseas... And he had been preaching crusades and everything else. His wife was at home, and she was out driving one day, and she got into an auto accident, and she was killed. Now, you can imagine how he felt when he gets the phone call overseas doing the work of the ministry, and someone calls him and says, I'm sorry, your wife's been in an auto accident. She's, she's, she's died. You can imagine the grief that he went through when he heard that. Well, he really struggled in his faith, during that time, Lord, I'm doing, your, I'm doing your will. I'm doing everything you called me to do, and yet you let my wife die. And so he was really down. He was depressed. And finally, he just told the Lord, he says, I don't know what to do. He says, I can't go on a ministry unless you give me a solution to this problem. I, I just, I'm too depressed. You know, I'm, I'm even suicidal. I, I can't do this. And the Lord spoke to him and said this, I want you to praise me. Now think about that. And he said to the Lord, he said, Lord, you've got to be kidding. There's no joy in me. There's, there's no uh, uh, peace in me. There's no victory in me. You want me to praise you? And the Lord said, yeah, I want you to praise you. And David said to continue to keep praise in your mouth. And so he said, all right, Lord, I will. And he described to this while we're eating lunch. He said, Pastor, I got up, I lifted up my hands. And I started to, to sing praises to God, and, and it was just dead inside. It was empty. There was no joy. There was no peace. And, 
and I just felt like I was going through the motions, but I kept doing what God said. I said, I, kept, I, I praise you, Lord. I praise you. I praise you. And he said it went on for like 20 minutes, just emptiness as he began to praise God. But then he said the Holy Spirit came upon him. And joy started rolling up inside of him. And he began to rejoice and praise God. And he wrote like nine books on praise that have been basically the foundation of praise taught in the church for the last 20 years. And it was all the result that his faith created the praise. It created the, the joy. It created the, the victory that he was missing in his life. Because when you act upon what you believe, the fruit of the Spirit will come alive in your life. Amen. I know you're down. I know you're upset. I know you, people are frustrated. But as a Christian, what does the Bible said? It said, count it all joy when you fall into trials. Do you know that when James wrote that, that James, the brother of John, had been beheaded? Did you know that when he said that, there were Christians being arrested and their possessions were being taken from them? Do you realize when Paul said in Timothy, I want you to honor those that have authority over you and pray for them, that Nero was taking Christians and, and putting them on sticks in his garden and putting tar on them and lighting them as candles for his garden when Paul said that. I'll be honest with you. I couldn't have done that. I would have picked up a rifle and said, let's go for it. But yet the scriptures don't tell me that. The scripture says that we're to give God praise and thanksgiving in every trial and every problem in our lives. And that fruit of the Spirit will well up inside of us. I'm sure Paul and Silas, when they had been beaten with rods and put in the inner jail, I bet you they didn't feel like having church service. I bet you they didn't feel like singing songs. I bet you they felt like weeping and feeling sorry for themselves. But instead of going to how they felt, they began to sing songs. And the joy of the Lord began to come up in their spirit. And God's power began to touch their hearts. And God's power touches the jail and rattles it loose in great victory. Victory happens. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But do you see what I'm saying? That faith in and of itself will produce the joy that we need, the peace that we need. When you walk by faith, when you walk by faith, you don't walk by the way you feel. Your faith creates what you feel by the Holy Spirit. We need that in America today. Amen? All right. Maybe we, had, we ought to... <laughs> yeah, don't, don't honk anymore. I don't want to get in trouble with the neighbors, okay? I know you want to, you want to honk, but, but uh, I don't want to get the neighbors mad at me. But do you understand what I'm saying? This is so important that we see this revelation, that we grab this revelation. That faith is what produces these desires 
within us to make a difference. Let me read you a verse at Acts chapter 7, 57 to 60. Look what it says. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stomped their ears and ran at him with one accord. It's talking about Stephen after preaching a great sermon. They cast him out of the city, stoned him, and witnesses laid down their clothes at his feet as a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I don't know if you can grasp what I'm about ready to say. Imagine preaching a sermon, an exciting sermon, very annoying, and then afterwards the congregation grabs you, tears you out in the street, and start picking up rocks and stoning you with it. Now, number one, you wouldn't feel accepted. You'd feel like, you know, like, well, this is going to be a bad day. But instead of being moved by what he felt, his faith in Jesus began to kick in. And I personally believe that while he was being stoned, he had the joy of the Lord. I personally believe that while they were killing him, he had the peace of God. And he had a manifestation of God's love because he said this, Father, charge them not for this sin. You couldn't do that if you were being controlled by your feelings. But his faith created that feeling that secured him in the faith. Listen to me. Uh, let me give you something a little bit more light. It's a story of a young man who's living at home with his parents. And he's of that age that he wants to get married and all that kind of stuff. And so he's sitting out eating breakfast with his father. And he said, Dad, I need to tell you something. I'm going to be getting married. And the father, you know, like any father, wants to make sure he's making the right decision. He says, why, why do you, how do you know that you should get married? And the son says, well, because I love this woman. And then the father said this, how do you know you love her? How do you know for sure you really love this woman? He said, Dad, I'll tell you what happened. The other night, we had done a date, and I'd taken her home from the date. And I was kissing her goodnight to go into the house. And while I was kissing her, her dog went up and started biting my leg. And I didn't even notice the pain until I got home. In other words, what he was saying is, my love for her was so strong that I didn't even realize the dog's chewing me up. And I didn't realize the pain until I had got away from her. In other words, what he's saying is, is I, I know I love her because the pain and the, and, and, and the situation in my life were so weird and painful, I didn't even notice that because of the feelings that came from the love that I had for her personally. And I think sometimes Christians, we got a lot of dogs on our leg biting us. But if the pain of the bite is more than our faith in Jesus, and if our faith in Jesus isn't producing the, the joy in our lives, then maybe we need to begin to believe God's word again and realize the way you first feel may not be the way that you will be once you exercise your faith. Exercising your faith is so significant. And let me, let me show it to you from a, a real-life situation in my own life. There's a verse in 1 Peter, it says this. It says, love covers 
a multitude of sins. Now, I be honest with you, when I first read that verse, when I first got saved, I didn't really know what it meant because I believe when sin is operating in people's life, you need to expose it before you can repent of it. So I didn't really understand the meaning of it until I got some on-job the training by the Holy Spirit. And I remember we were in the church and we'd been pastored for years and, and I had a, a minister fall into a terrible sin. And so I couldn't leave him in the position. And so I had this choice. The congregation wanted to know all the details of the things that he did wrong. Because they wanted me to justify me letting him, you know, letting him off. Or laying him off. And I had this struggle. Okay, I, the, the best way, the easiest way for me that I wouldn't feel any hostility towards the people is just lay out exactly what he did to everybody in the church. And that would, that, that would be the easiest way for me. But I sat with my board and asked them what they thought I should do. And I had a good, great board and still do. And, and they said, you need to take the high road. And I remember it because that's what I felt like I needed to do because I didn't want the family to be affected. I didn't want the kids to be affected. I didn't want them to be shamed because of their, you know, their father's sin. And, and so I, I wanted to cover that multitude of sins. And the only people that really knew the details were people that were personally involved with the sin itself. But everyone else didn't know the details. And I remember after preaching that, all the nasty things that people said about me. All the people that tried to hurt me. Tried to say it wasn't right that he did that. All that stuff. And I remember experiencing that and didn't feel good at all. But yet I said, Lord, I did the right thing. You said to cover a multitude of sins. I'm more concerned about their family than I'm about what people say about me. And I remember the joy of the Lord began to rise up inside of me and the peace of God began to rise up inside of me. And I knew that that was the will of God. That's what I'm saying, that without faith, you'll always be controlled by how you feel. You'll always be controlled by, well, I'm down today and so I have a bad day. You'll always be controlled, I don't feel accepted. So then you believe no one accepts you. And, and you'll never be able to really overcome to the measure that God wants you to overcome if you go down that path rather than the path that God gives us personally in our lives. And what I'm talking about is something that has to be repetitiously done in your life. Not just occasionally, but repetitiously done in your life. One of my favorite verses in Hebrews, it says that when you get hurt to make your path straight, and the word for path is a, is a word that's used to describe a wagon wheel that continually goes over the same path over and over again until it wears down a path. And you say, oh, you know, wagons go there because, you know, they keep going by it over and over and over again. And it says that's how you, you get healed. And I'll never forget... I was, uh, we had, it was a first house choice and I had owned. And uh, it was one of those split level homes. And it had a basement. In the basement, that's where I would walk and pray. And then I had a small, like uh, an oversized closet for my study. And so I'd be downstairs praying. And I remember uh, a fella come over, we wanted him to clean the carpet. He comes over and uh, he's downstairs and he looks at me and says, what's that ring in your carpet? 
he says, how, how, did you, how did you get that ring in the carpet? Because it was wore out. There was this circle in my carpet. And I said, well, to tell you the truth, what happened is it, it came from me because I'm a pastor. And when I pray, I walk in circles. And so I'm walking around telling him, see, this is what happened. I just, I'm just praying. I like to walk when I'm praying. And he looks at me and he says, you got to be kidding. You mean you pray that much? I said, well, yeah, I'm a pastor. I got to pray. People need help. And I remember it opened a door and I began to witness to him and about Jesus and everything else. But see, that's what Christianity is about. It's about a pattern. The pattern to be in church, the pattern to pray, the pattern to say, I'm sorry when you're, when you're at fault, the, the pattern that says, I'm going to help when no one else is helping, the pattern that says, I'm going to give a word of encouragement when no one's given a word of encouragement. It's that pattern that makes your marriage great. It's that pattern that gives you breakthroughs in your life. But a lot of people, when they think about walking by faith, they think about, well, I believe what I feel. And that's not how it works. You believe first, and then it creates the joy. It creates the victory in your life. And listen, you look at the world we're in right now. Everybody's emotions are high. There's anger. There's hostility. As a Christian, we are to display the fruit of the Spirit. Don't let your sun go down upon your wrath. It's all right to get angry for a moment, but not for very long. Or turns into bitterness and anger. We need to be a light to the world that we're facing right now. Because if we don't, we're going to lose the effectiveness that God has given to us. Now, I want to ask this question. I think it's an honest question. How do you know if you know God? How do, how do you know? Well, Pastor, I've had experiences with God. But how, how do you know if the experience was from God or from an evil spirit? H how do you know? You can talk to sinners. They've all had spiritual experiences. How do you know if that experience is from God or not? The only way that we can know for sure is through Scripture. If an angel appears to you and tells you something, if it is in line with Scripture, don't follow it. If Jesus or a man appears that looks like Jesus and gives you instructions and it can't be based in the Word of God, then don't follow it. The Scriptures is how we know God. Every experience must be measured by the Scriptures. Jesus, when he preached, he says, listen, it, it, it was foretold of me in the Word, in the Scriptures. And he would always remind them of the Scriptures because they all taught about him. Listen, if we could do that as a church, we would know that we know God instead of always wondering, well, I'm not sure I know God. And here's the breakthrough from this that I want you to see. I would say 90% of, of all the miracles that could happen in your life don't happen for one reason. You don't base the will of God on the Word. You're basing it on an experience. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Jesus said this verse to people who, were not, who had not had the indwelling of the Spirit. He said, whatever things when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have it. And not one of those people had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Not one of them had it. He said, I want you to pray according to my word. 
That's what he taught them. And, and in the Bible, you find examples of this. For instance, the woman that had the blood issue, that story is repeated three times in the Synoptic Gospels. And she is very unique because she got a miracle without requesting it from Jesus. She didn't send him a text and say, oh, by the way, would you pray for me? She didn't ask a good friend, could you go to Jesus and ask him if he'll pray for me? No. She heard about Jesus. She heard that himself took up our infirmities and bore away our sicknesses. She heard that he quoted from the book of Isaiah that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to, 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 to heal the brokenhearted. She heard that and faith came and she knew that it was God's will before she ever even approached him that she would be healed. And so she kept saying, if I touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. And touched in the power of God and delivered her. John said it this way. He said, this is the confidence we have before God that whatever we ask according to his will, he hears us. That's the confidence that when I find God's will in the word, I can go to the God and I can receive that will and I can receive that purpose. And then it says, and if you know, he hears you. In other words, if you know what you asked him came from his word, you know that he's heard your petition and he will grant it to you. Now, right now would be a good time if you roll down your window, stick your hands outside, and begin to thank God. Just begin to thank God that God has already given us the answer. Begin to thank God that God's already given us the breakthrough. Begin to thank God that we're more than conquerors. Begin to thank God that we're already healed. We begin to thank God that God provides all that we need. We begin to thank God. Hallelujah! I don't need to struggle and get an experience that God wants to prosper me. His word says he delivered me from the curse of the law. I don't need an angel to appear and say God wants to heal you because his word said himself took up my infirmities and bore away my sicknesses. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh man. I tell you what. I'm getting a little bit excited up here. But do you understand what I just said? This is why miracles don't happen. We want an angel to appear to us. We want an experience. Experiences need to follow what we believe. They don't need to create what we believe. They need to follow our belief system. As we believe the word, experiences will happen, and God will minister in a great way. I want to I wind this down with a verse. A look in Romans chapter 5. Or I take that back. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, please. 2 Corinthians, let me see if I even have it. Okay, let's do Romans 5. Listen to what it says. When we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Oh, man. Jesus died for us. Before we ever even knew about him, he died for us. I want to relate to you a true story, and I'm going to close with this. It happened during the war that we had with Japan. 
And this is actually a true story. It's really, it's unbelievable uh, when you hear what happened. But Japan had taken some prisoners. They were Scottish. And there was a whole platoon of them that they had captured. And so what they had them do every day is they were building a railroad. And they would take the prisoners of war and they gave each one a shovel. And they'd go out and dig all day and whatever to build this rail, railroad. Well, at the end of every day, they would collect all the shovels and they would count them to make sure they had all of them. And at the end of this one day, the prisoners had given them all the shovels and they had counted them all up and there was one short. Now, the Japanese officer was furious about it. So he told all the prisoners, I want you to all stand up in the line. So they all stood up, all of them, before him. And he went and he says, we are missing one shovel. Whoever has that one shovel, whoever threw it, I want you to step forward right now. And of course, uh, nobody moved in the line. All the prisoners just stood there. And then the officer said, all right. And he went and he grabbed himself a machine gun and came out there and told his men to, to, open, to, to lift up their machine guns on these prisoners. And he said this, if that person that stole that shovel doesn't return it, we're going to kill all of you. We're going to shoot all of you dead right now. And they knew this officer would do it. So they're all standing up there. And this one guy, he steps forward. The officer then took him and took a shovel and beat him to death in front of all the prisoners. And so the prisoners picked up their comrade, carried him over, dug a hole and buried him in the prison ward area there. And then the next day they got up and started to build their the railroad thing again. And at the end of that day, all the shovels were returning. They counted again, and they discovered there was one extra shovel. And what they understood and what the, what the prisoners learned is that the day before, they had made a mistake when they were counting the shovels. And there never was a shovel missing. The shovels were all there. And this man, this prisoner of war, instead of letting all of his comrades die, he stepped forward so that their life would be spared. And he died for that whole troop. The, the whole platoon was so moved by this. Once they understood it, they became closer. They become brothers in arms. And, and there was a strong unity. And it wasn't soon after that that the war ended and they were released. And when they released, it had affected them so much. They said, well, do you want vengeance? They said, no, we want, we, we want reconciliation. We want to forgive. It affected them that much. Even though they were so cruelly treated by those Japanese officers. But the fact that one of their people had died so that they could live overwhelmed them. My friend today, Jesus Christ is the one that died for you. He's the one that gave his life for you. He's the one that surrendered it all for you. 
and you didn't even know you needed him and he still died for you and he called you by his spirit and I'm telling you today that the greatest faith that we have is to have faith in the love that Jesus has towards us that's the greatest faith there is to know that God loved you so much that he would not lead you in the place that you're in. He would not leave you in the place of pain that you're in. He would not leave you for destiny to take you to hell. He wouldn't do that, but he came and he died on that cross for every one of your sins. And I'm here to tell you today that there is forgiveness for sins in your life. Now, I'm going to do something right now that I've never done before. I'm not sure it's ever been done before. But I'm asking you to examine your heart right now. Have you really believed on Christ's love towards you? Have you really believed that he died for your sins? Have you really believed that salvation would never be possible unless Jesus had given himself up here? Have you really believed that? If you ha haven't, I'm going to ask you to do something today. It's bold. It's, it's wild. But I'm going to ask you to step out of your car. And I know people are way over there. I realize it could be quite a walk. And I realize the majority of you know Jesus. But Jesus didn't die just for the majority. He died for the one. And if you're here today and you sense the calling and the drawing of God in your life, I want you to meet the Savior that saved me and many of the others. And I'm going to ask you right now, if God's tugging on your heart, open, open your car door, step out right now, and walk forward. And the power of God will begin to change you and transform you in your life. Now, I'm going to pray right now. Father, thank you for moving by your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, you don't leave us where we were. Thank you, Lord, that you love every one of us. And you desire that every one of us would know you in an intimate way. Would know you in a way that will that we would have that peace and that joy that comes from you. And Lord, I thank you today that even all of us who know you, that we would continually have our faith in how much you've loved us. Thank you, Father, so much. And Lord, I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out riveroflifefellowship.org, our mobile app, and our podcast. Also, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at River of Life Kent to learn more and keep up with everything that's happening at River of Life Fellowship.